Good day and welcome to Resonant Voices podcast. It's our first episode and I'm really honored to welcome you. It's been a period of anticipation for me, just counting the days and counting the hours and watching the clock till today. Uh, today we have a very special guest with us and I think it's very fitting that he's the first guest on this podcast because I truly believe that his voice will resonate on a global scale and that at the end of this episode after listening you will understand a bit more about yourself about the continent and about leadership without further ado i would like to read out a brief profile of our eminent guest today uh, his name is emmanuel toye sobande and he has letters behind his name which means He's well-read, and these letters are DSL. He earned a doctorate of strategic leadership from Regent University of Virginia Beach in the United States. He's the author of The Leadership Myth, Why Leadership Principles Do Not Work in Sub-Saharan Africa. Hmm. Very, very curious about that title. We'll go into that. (laughs) Shobande is also a co-founder and publisher of the African Leadership Journal an intellectual platform that engages scholars and practitioners who advance leadership and followership development across the globe. He's the lead consultant and president of Stevens Leadership Consultancy, LLC, a strategy and management consulting firm offering creative insight and solutions to businesses and leaders. With over 24 years of service in various followership and leadership endeavors, he has advocated for followers, transformational leadership, organizational culture, and leadership development in political governance. Toye is also a columnist and author with Business Day newspapers, where he writes weekly on strategic leadership, development principles, and organizational culture. He's a member of the International Leadership Association, ILA, the Society of International Economic Law, and the Nigerian Bar Association, MBA. His manuscript, Leadership and Organizational Politics, How to Win Office Politics and Thrive in a Competitive Environment is scheduled to be published on December 1, 2022. Wow, what a man, what a guy, what a fellow. Toye, I'm so happy to have you this morning. (laughs) Thank you, awesome, (laughs) awesome privilege. Awesome privilege. That's a shared privilege, you know. Uh, each time, <laughs> each time we have those our uh, phone calls where we just yes. you know, banter and chat. I always yes. leave so refreshed. And you know, um, when I was designing this, you were one of those I had in mind. Mm. And so I wasn't surprised when your email came in. Yes. And I said, see, Toye is one of the few people who will respond to this with an actual email <laughs> with a well-structured email <laughs> and I, I wasn't surprised at all and and it just clicked and made sense that yeah. you should be the first guest so yeah. welcome and tell us a bit more about that title i, I didn't want to start with that title i was going to okay. go into your early years and all but i'm really very curious about that title i've read the book but just reading that profile that title right. You know, the title was intended to cause mayhem. Mm. 
it was intended to cause trouble. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Some people are dubbed or referred to us in Africa as troublemakers. Table shakers. Let's shake the table a bit. <laughs> and, um, so when I was picking that title, it, for me, the, the actual intention was to make it a conversation starter. <clears throat> right. I didn't want to pretend like an author that has the answers to Africa's problems. But Brilliant. I wanted to have a conversation starter in a different direction from what we've been having in the past 20, 30, 40 years after most African countries have gotten their independence. At least, uh, the, uh, for example, being in Nigeria, we've gained our independence for the past 62 years. So as at the time, this book, you know, the project was up. Nigeria was 53 at the time, you know, when I started you know, working and researching on this book. Wow. Now, it's almost seven to eight years later, Nigeria just you know, uh, celebrated its second uh, anniversary of independence. And the same thing we've been complaining about that has been an issue in the last 40 years is still the same thing till date. We've gained our independence as a nation, but we are not independent as a nation. We're still <laughs> fighting life battles. And I like to equate that to a man who was born into a home and is still living in his parents' house, still expecting his daddy for pocket money. At 16, he's still blaming neighbors for why he has not progressed. You know, and <laughs> so those were the things playing out in my head when we said the leadership needs. Why is leadership a need? Why? Because I, I grew up with a lot of leadership lessons, leadership training. I got certification in leadership, this and that. And that was even a major highlight of my journey in life. And I felt, okay, if leadership was a problem in Africa, why is it that those guys who go to school abroad, our leaders who schooled abroad, lived abroad, worked abroad, they come back and they get into the public service, get into the private sector, develop a successful career out of it, and they find themselves in governance. And they now have political rulership over us. Why have they not been able to translate their, what they are exposed to into physical Realities. Why have they not been able to translate it into structural development? Mm -hmm. Why are these developments not very obvious in the educational sector, in the manufacturing, in the banking, in all of those sectors? I saw the gaps. So, of course, yeah, I was really very concerned. So, why is it that, you know, and one of the first set of books that I got exposed to when I was young where the likes, the books written by the first, the, the, set, the guys who plotted the first set of coups in Nigeria, Why We Struck. I read Ujuku's book. I read, because I was involved, I read uh, Chief of Afemolo's autobiography. I, I read, Classics, those ones. Eh? Those, I, I read books on Hitler. So, because my dad had a very huge library. And those books were readily available. So, I was exposed to a lot of autobiographies of great men. I was exposed to a lot of uh, books on politics, on development. My mom, uh, being a teacher, my parents were foundationally teachers. You know, my, my mom retired as a head teacher of a school. My dad used to be a head teacher of a school in his, you know, uh, very early years of his career 
and later became an administrator and a you know, professor. And their exposure over the years, they shared it. In fact, I remember I was in primary three when my mom gave me a newspaper to read. And it was about Shegma Wolowo becoming the first international lawyer that Nigeria will produce. And that's exactly where the seed of studying law came from, where I decided I wanted to become a lawyer and I wanted to become an international lawyer. Now, so now I'm now an international lawyer. I've schooled abroad. I've experienced development. I've visited a couple of countries in Europe. I've experienced development in Europe compared to where I'm coming from. Then now I'm on holiday on vacation to Dubai and I landed in Dubai and it was as if I've never seen development before. And I was wowed. It blew me away. But while I was enjoying my holiday and, you know, having an exciting time moving from Dubai to Abu Dhabi, there were questions on my mind. Our leaders have been coming here, and this was in year 2009 or thereabout, you know. Our leaders have been coming here. They've been seeing the development happening in Europe. Okay, let's even say Europe is old, 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 such that they think uh, development has been happening there long before we gained independence and all that. But yes. how about Dubai? Dubai. They that was have... basically a desert. In the desert than... a few years ago, yeah. they, were, they cannot even be compared to Nigeria in terms of development. Nigeria was light years ahead. Exactly. Now, it has overtaken us, starting from the airport, starting from their services, starting from their airline. Ah. Thank you. So starting from their airline, in mm-hmm. whichever country you are traveling from, yes. you begin to see that you excellence. Begin to see excellence. That... Yes. Yes. Okay. You know what blew me away? When I said about the airline, it was in my journey from London to Dubai that I flew on the Airbus A380 for the first time in my life. <laughs> Imagine Airbus A380, classic, beautiful flight, excellence, the service customer. I've been flying on planes internationally, but here I am on the A380, for God's sake, from London to Dubai. Come on. The service was, I was, so I just got into meditative mode, thinking, thinking. Then this scripture struck me. I, Daniel, understood by books. I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years before to be in captivity. And I said, wow. That means the answers that I'm looking for, they are contained in, in books. books. So I walked Remarkable. up to the library Remarkable. and I asked, are there books about Dubai's story of development that I can read? And he said, oh yes, they gave me a couple of books somewhere in Arabic. And I said, I mean, I can't speak Arabic, I can't read Arabic. Can like, they give me some English books? And they gave me some, I read those scans, saw some pictures, I enjoyed the story of the development. They documented the uh, uh, development very well. But I saw something. They kept referencing their leadership, kept referencing their leadership, kept referencing their leadership. And I said, okay, something very interesting about these references being made to the leader. Said, okay. I said, is there anything or any autobiography that I can read? They said, oh, the Sheikh Al Maktoum just released a book. What's the title of the book? My Vision. And he gave me the first one book of my favorites. And I said, hmm? and he gave me, so oh, there's one in the Dubai library. So I went there and I picked a copy. Went through walls at the back. When I saw what the guy wrote, I said, What? And I sat down to the world. That was the book that said to me, Africa's problem is largely leadership. 
leadership you know, is not our leaders for leadership. Why? Because Spot there's on. a difference between leaders and leadership. And leadership. Spot on. And a lot of people are not, it's not a function of semantics. It's not a function of throwing out jargons. But it's a function of the understanding of the contextual implication the words carry. Please drill down on that a bit. Good. When you say leaders or a leader, then you are referring to a role and a rank. When you say leadership, you are referring not to a role or a rank or or individuals. You are referring to a level playing field that has a relationship between those who occupy leadership positions, occupy leadership roles, and those who are deemed as followers. So leadership establishes a relationship between the leaders and the followers. Without the leader-follower dynamic, there cannot be leadership. Why? If you say you are a leader <clears throat> and you don't have anybody following you, then you're only Who are you leading? You're taking a stroll. But what makes you a leader is because you have people reporting to you and you have people you are responsible to. Profound. Leadership is responsibility. Leadership is not a title. Leadership is not a position. Leadership is not a rank. Wow. Leadership is responsibility. Wow. You take responsibility to serve the interest of the people whom you have been assigned to lead, whom you have been assigned to take responsibility, not only for their welfare, for their development, their future, their aspirations, and to create regulations that will bring about effective order of structure and systems that can work towards the realization of the corporate objectives of those people that they have agreed upon. So I, I think I'm be... going to put that, I'm going to frame it and put okay. it somewhere in my study so that I would always look at it. Mm, but I, then I noticed something, something, yeah. you know, a bit subtle, mm. uh, but I picked it. So when you were talking about how a lot of the elite political class in Nigeria and indeed Africa travel Mm -hmm. to the developed world and come back, uh, you mentioned something about political rulership. You did not say leadership. So is there a distinction? And if so, why is what we have in Nigeria rulership and not leadership? Um, if you watch the semantics used by our journalists in Nigeria, where they want to reference somebody who has occupied political office in Nigeria, there's always something that is unconscious but consistent. He ruled Nigeria from 19 so 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 to 19 so so so. He ruled Nigeria from 19 so 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 to 19 Why? Largely, our political leaders have been military leaders. They were not democratically elected. True. So, and because leadership happens where the people's will are involved, and where there's an agreement between those who want to occupy leader, uh, uh, leadership roles and those who are going to be led. In this case, there was no communication, there was no agreement. It was a forced and imposed rule. So leadership did not happen. 
it was an authoritarian system. Leadership did not happen. Mm. For leadership to happen, the people must have been the one who made the choice for that candidate. Yes. There were constitutional provisions that guided the operations of but in the case of the military guys, they were they ruled by decree, they ruled by fiat. It was a rulership of a few people who came together and decided for hundreds of millions of people what should happen. So there was no constitutional framework. So they dictated the court system, they dictated who was to run the judiciary. So there was no checks and balances. So there was no proper systems and structures that created a governance structure that people could rely on or people could have confidence in. So yes. the military government can just wake up one morning and decide to change the law. And the effect of that is still seen in our nation today. The Sad. classic example of such rulership is the Land Use Act of 1978, which was a military fiat. It used to be the Land Use Decree. Mm. But when the um, military wanted to hand over to us, they handed over the relics, the hazards, the implication, the frustration, the headache of that decree. And through a backdoor process of a kangaroo structure that they created, adopted it and absorbed into the constitution as an act. When something becomes an act in a democratic sector, there are consultations between the policymakers and the stakeholders. In this case, none of that happened. And that decree, which has become an act, is one of the most fundamental issues that has stalled the development of Nigeria and Nigerians. And that is a byproduct of rulership, not leadership, because it was wow. not engaged to the people. Wow. Wow. So in this dispensation of democracy, why do we still have rulers? Because by definition, right, democracy means that the leaders are chosen by the people. By the, people. the government is the government of the people, exactly. by the people, yeah. right? And for the people. So if we have democracy in place, as we claim we yes. do, Yes. How come we still have rulers? Exactly. You see, that was exactly why I used that title, why leadership principles do not work in Sub-Saharan Africa. When we gained independence, what we successfully did was to copy and paste. We did not do any intellectual work into the design of our nation and the kind of identity our nation needed to have. So when we copied and pasted That's the principles deep. in the Western context, we were not mindful of the fact that we, there are cultural contexts that is particular and peculiar to our people that they will relate to. Democracy is not natural to our culture. Ha! Tebu Sheka. Democratic institutions were not natural to our culture. We have semblance of it in some facets. We have semblance of democratic institutions, but it was not culturally appealing to us. So what we have is a perverted version of democratic institutions and structures because it has not paid due regard to the involvement of the people. It has not paid due regard to consultation of the people. So 
what we've done over the years was that we have systemized and structured mediocre process a mediocre arrangement ah so what we were doing was that we copied the british system of government it did not work we jettisoned it we copied the american system of government and that's what we are so we keep copying and pasting most of our laws were copy and paste products from our colonial masters without the cultural context and understanding of the peculiarity of those principles and those laws hmm. I was so it's a mixed grill sorry it's so a, it's a mixed grill of yes. systems that are not even fit for purpose let me let me make it let me make it a very practical term you want to drink gary now the best ideal of your gary is ice water with ice block you have your granite you have your sugar then you have your milk you know and you pour that into a bowl stay you know it's very exciting but yes. if i decide that okay oh, i don't have sugar let me give you salt and i don't have granite let me give you uh cooling cooling and put inside the garlic then <laughs> i don't have ice block i have just small ice water and you okay then we'll now pour okay i don't have powdered milk but let me give you the liquid milk, the whole milk, pour it inside. The gari will not be naturally appealing to the one you know, the standard one you know. Very true. And that's a powerful that? analogy, yes. That is exactly Because you can I... still drink it, it can yes. still digest. Yes. But the value you are getting from that bowl is yeah. not the same thing. It's not the and same. And the only the person who doesn't know the taste Exactly. That ideal one the original. will take this exactly. as how it should be. Exactly. Word. Because what sustains democratic process are institutions. Here we build a we built a democracy structure without institutions. Please expatiate on that. Okay. When you look at institutions that sustain democracy in the developed world, in the Western world, for example, look at the last American election and the near mayhem that happened with the result of the elections. What made that election fly? And the confidence the people had in the process was that there were institutions that were present to protect the people's votes. Institutions that were independent, institutions that were not subject to executive fiat, institutions that were regulated by constitutional provisions, but not the executive signing or the uh, executive appendage of the chief executive, the president. They did not, it was not, so there were checks and balances, both at the level of the court system, at the level of the electoral. Uh, uh, process uh, the electoral uh, uh, organization that was to coordinate the elections, the announcement of the result. Technology was was leveraged on that people could see the results real time, so nobody could manipulate any process. Then when somebody now says, "Oh, the election has been hijacked," and they were doing a campaign and they were going to go to the capital city to do all sorts of things, there were institutions who rose up, including the military, who spoke up and said that loyalty is to the Constitution of the United States of America, not to a man. When the head of the US military said that, he was not speaking anyhow. He spoke to what was the fundamental identity of the people, the Constitution. 
and the constitution Powerful. of the americans is so sacrosanct Powerful. that it became the source of life source of the institutional foundation source of any process source of any result source of anything so that there was a reliance on the fact that the system works that is so profound that is how democratic processes so are. so democracy is sustained by strong institutions by strong institutions institutions that are driven by people yeah. but are superior to any one person yes. or group of people exactly that is so and profound yes yes you so know the interesting profound. thing is that those institutions were not founded on policies alone no policies were just a byproduct of the effectiveness of those institutions they were founded on sound value systems that gave the nation the identity they have. Powerful. They were a clear shared, values. A, sh- a, a shared ownership of those values. Yes, shared ownership of those values. Correct. Wonderful. Looking at chapter 8 of your book, Dr. Mm-hmm. Shogande, I would read the introduction because I know this is one of your favorite chapters of your own book. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I, I would apologize for blindsiding you like this, but I want I want you to 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 tell us a bit, you know, um, mm. using chapter eight, uh, and I'll just read the a quote you put there at the beginning by Adam Kojo. It says, "A united and developed Africa, wedded to the basic values of the respect for life, yeah. that constitutes the undercurrent of its mm. traditional civilizations." will impress humanity with the joy and significance of life. And Africa united and prosperous, and Africa united and powerful will be a balancing factor in a world of solidarity, dialogue, and peace. Edem Kojo, please, in a couple of minutes, could you unpack that for us? And by extension, chapter eight. Yes. What is so interesting for me about that quote was that it was highlighting the whole essence of leadership. I was asking myself, it's not enough to analyze what the problem is. And in profiling and making recommendations on how we can go forward, I realized that the whole essence of humanity and our existence as God's creation is about the value for life. The value for life. God wired into creation value for life. So, when God was to establish his own authority on earth, he established it not to make an individual great, but to use individuals as a conduit, a pipeline towards the enrichment of the lives that he has created. And that's how God established leadership word because when the bible talked about the creation of adam god engaged with adam in a conversation as to his creation including the naming ceremony he delegated <laughs> that responsibility to adam. so god in his engagement was a leader that was not authoritarian he was a benevolent leader his conversation. Did you, did, you, did you shy away from saying dictator there? <laughs> I shied away from it deliberately, but it's part of his attributes. He is mm-hmm. a benevolent dictator. Mm-hmm. But he's a benevolent leader in the sense that 
This was his creation. He could dictate to him, but he chose not to. The Bible said God brought everything before Adam, and Adam by his own self named everything. The Bible said God used to come down to have fellowship with man. These days, our political leaders don't have fellowship with our people. They don't converse with people. They don't <laughs> Doctor, say that again, please. I said say in this again. age and time, our leaders don't converse with the people. They don't does that familiar. sound does that sound familiar to any Nigerian? <laughs> it should sound familiar where they will just read the speech to you without taking cognizance of the reality of the people, the economic realities of the people. Indeed. The 62nd independence speech of the president was a complete shamble. Hmm. Nothing referenced the hardship of Nigerians, the insecurity, the state of the Naira, the devaluation of the currency. The fact that we are in debt. Nothing in that speech gave hope to the fact that the people have something to hold on to, to change their lives, even though the circumstances were so damning. People do not understand that one of the things that made Hitler successful, quote and unquote, in Germany as a leader was the fact that he engaged with the people. He was always talking to the people was always talking, was always making public address. Was all, so he was talking in a way that inspired hope and confidence. Hitler played more into the collective identity of the Germans than emphasized the adversity. I, 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 will, I will come in here and ask a question, a related question, right? Yes. So that's an extreme example you have used from the <laughs> developed world. Right, and it, yes. it, it it made me remember a, a thought I once had, mm. where I asked myself, why is it that in the developed world, yeah. even those mm. who who are doing the wrong thing, yes, seem to do it with a sense of excellence? A, a, yeah. a, a, you you still find them pursuing excellence and. Yeah. seeking yeah. to be leaders in yeah. that sphere. Yeah. Whereas in Africa, mm -hmm. it takes quite a bit of self-development and yeah. intentionality for yeah. those who are doing right yeah. to even get to that level mm -hmm. where they, they, they seek and mm -hmm. pursue mm -hmm. excellence. Mm -hmm. Now, my question to you is, is that a valid thought? And if so, how does this play into our it, leadership it's journey a valid as Africans? It's a, it's a valid thought. And when we were talking, three things came to my mind mm. that differentiates the two examples, those who are in the Western world and those who are in Africa. Three things. Number one was their environment. Number two were their belief systems. Mm. And number three was the values that the nations were driven with or driven by that gave them their national identity. In those institutions that I mean, in those environments in the, in the uh, Western world, they created enabling environments. That's the first thing they focused on. Everything was built around an environment because they understand the importance of the environment. 
an environment is where you can do indoctrination, you can do orientation, you can do reorientation. There, there is a process for growth and development in an environment. How do I know? If I if I if I reference the Bible in Mark chapter four, where Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower, he talked about four categories of seeds. But what got my attention were not the first three categories. It was the last category. And the same principle applies across board. He said, when the sower sowed seed, he said some fell on the wayside, some fell on the rock, yes. some fell among tongues, and some yes. fell on the good soil. He said the one that fell on the wayside, the birds of the air came, ate it up and went. He said the one that fell on the rock, he said because they did not have roots in themselves, it grew for a while and it dies off because it was on a rock. There was no soil, the soil was not enough. He said the one that fell among tongues grew for a bit. It was choked up so that they could not harvest the fruit out of it. He said, but the last category fell on a good soil. And the Bible said they produce fruit in three categories. Some 30%, some 60%, some 100%. What had differentiated the Western world from the African world is the environment that we have created. They created an enabling environment for people to strive. So they infused it into their educational curriculum. They infused it into their work life. They infused it into their institutional institutional framework. They infused it into their economic life. They infused it into their national identity. They now infused it into their governance process. So they were enabling environment across board. In Africa, we did not build any environment. And yet we expect seeds to germinate and grow. Because when I was <laughs> so environment, because the environment is what will produce the belief system that you have. No, I would I, I I I will stop you there and say this. So this is how I segue into your personal life. Yes, uh, because I know that there are people like you, and quite a number of remarkable yes. Africans. Mm. As a matter of fact, this podcast platform exists to highlight that fact the fact that there are a lot of africans doing phenomenal things quietly Mm -hmm. who are exuding Mm -hmm. excellence right yes and yet we 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 are saying that the enabling environment is not Mm -hmm. there that Mm -hmm. we don't have a sense of shared national and even continental identity we do not uh, seem to have the right values so my question to you is why do we have Dr. Toye Shobande DSL <laughs> from this background from um, this same Africa from this same Nigeria yes. and why do we have all the other doctors and phenomenal people what makes the difference what made the difference was the conscious decision by my parents to want to have a child. I'm the last child of five children. And my dad recounts the story to us uh, the later part of his years, where he said, he remembered that day when my mom prayed, as they were praying together, and she said, oh, she wanted one more child. Having had two boys and two girls, you know, she wanted one more child and prayed about it, and they made it. The decision to have the child. So when they say that, and I so meditate, you are the actual baby of the house, uh, actual baby of the house, <laughs> a product of prayer, wow. a product of their prayer. And you know, it was exciting towards the end of his life when my dad recounts that story intensely and talks about it. 
talks about the fact that it was a prayer that they made and God gave them answers. And the circumstances of my birth showed that that prayer was answered. And my parents also uh, did not only pray to have me, they created an environment. The environment was important to them. So in creating that environment, they established clear family values of how their children were to be raised, the outlook of their children to life. And that was what I met with my siblings. So one of the first of those values were what honor that our family must be seen and be, must be seen and be perceived as honorable. So therefore, my behavior must conform with honor. So anytime I went out of line, I went out of line, not because my parents were just having uh, mood swings, just to punish you for not complying to what they say. No, yes. the behavior must be consistent with our family values. Diligence was part of the values they raised me with. Service, consideration for others. In fact, that is one that I've held on to so well because I've seen it missing in our society, where my mom will always tell you, be considerate of others. Don't think of yourself alone. Think of others. Be considerate of your brothers. Be considerate of your sisters. I remember one time, my brother got home and packed food, packed rice and meat, and we were eating. And my mom said, ah, that rice, only you, all that meat. You did not even think of your brothers. You did not think of your sister. Your daddy has not eaten, your, have not eaten and only you are, you are going to eat that rice. Because I used to think my mom was nagging. I used to think she was complaining until I found it as a scriptural provision that we must don't think highly of yourself, think but be considerate of others. And that is what is missing in our political institutions. And That's Africa. profound. That's what is missing in our life. Lack of consideration. That is why we have traffic everywhere because other road users are not considerate of other road users. Those who constructed the road are not considerate of those who are to use the road. Those who are regulating traffic are not considerate of those who use, who go through the traffic. So that when I'm in, on the road, I should give, and somebody indicates, rather than me contesting for road and be driving road, I should give the person the right of way. That value is one of the most profound values that my parents raised me with. That in whatever I do, I must have consideration for others. If I'm going to buy myself a new suit, I'll ask, is this suit going to cost me $1,000? Can I invest this $1,000 and buy Amazon shares so that it will benefit my children's children? What can I do as legacy that will benefit my children? And that's exactly what my dad did. He established systems and structures within the family that gave legacy, considered giving legacy products to our children, his children. And that was education. Not education of going to school to be able to read and write. Education in terms of exposure, the desire to travel, which is food forms for him, part of the exposure. The desire to relate with other parts of the world and have a world view. My dad had a huge library in his bedroom. In our house, he created an extra room for books. Then, in case you want to sit down and read, there are tables and chairs there. In case you want to sleep, there's a bed there. In case you want to eat, there's a table there, there's fridge there. So, myself and my siblings grew up in an environment whereby we were saturated with books, with information that molded us, that created the wow. consciousness in our minds. Wow. That even though we've not been to Germany, but we have read books that painted Germany to us. You've even been, though we've not been so to you've so been when I there, get to those countries, they became, you know, real. Because you've it's, seen the picture painted in your mind. Yeah. So that's where 
the source of my passion started from. It was conversations with my dad about development Remarkable. about Africa. Remarkable. I remember when Thomas Ankara died and my father announced it. As a child, I wept. I was young, but I was a Thomas Ankara fan. How did I become a Thomas Ankara fan? They were newspaper reading, they were clippings, they were radio broadcasts that my parents were listening to that supported my dad's views about Thomas Ankara because he saw Thomas Ankara as an outlier even though he was a military guy, but he saw him as an outlier of somebody who had the interest of Africa's development at heart. I remember when the name was changed to Burkina Faso <laughs> and how he used to enjoy, you know, and what it means, the land of a free man, you know? And so when I visited Burkina Faso as a country, I released the memories. Wow. When I passed in front of the presidential palace, I released the memories. When I landed at the airport, I released the, released the memories because it was a conversation between my dad and I. Yes. And so it came to life when you were there in person. Exactly. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So what I hear you saying, doctor, is that even if at the macro level, Mm -hmm. that environment is not there, the systems have not been created, the values have not been shared and distilled Mm -hmm. or even pursued Mm -hmm. at home, at the micro level. At the micro level. We can yes make it happen mm-hmm. and if we replicate it in as many homes as, as yes. possible yes. then we can begin to to, to to export it and to see mm-hmm. the kind of the kind of environment exactly. at the macro level because it's the people whenever yes. i discuss with people and we are discussing mm-hmm. politics just like mm-hmm. you said it's not a leader problem it's a no. leadership problem Yes. Because it is out of Nigeria yes. that we get the leaders. So yes. if there is a leadership deficit in Nigeria mm-hmm. and in Africa, mm-hmm. there's no way we are going to have great leaders. At all. Because it is from amongst us exactly. that these people will come. Exactly. For instance, there is no South African president that has ever been a Kenyan. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. A Kenyan American mm. has been an American president. I'm president. Yeah. But a Kenyan has never been president mm. in Nigeria. At all. If we let that sink in, mm. then we'll begin to understand why. Yes. It is more about leadership. Exactly. Than the people. Exactly. Than the people. Mm. And Dr. Toye, it has been phenomenal just having this chat with you today thank you we need to have a second session where it will be be more about your personal life because i want to drill very deep into that Mm. so that we can begin to understand why you are dr toye today Mm. and why Mm. you're on the journey you are on because Mm. i know for a fact that there are many layers Yes. to the man you have become and the man you are yes. becoming. Yes. Uh, and we all need to learn from each other's story. Yes. yes. Today we have dwelt more on your work. Mm-hmm. And before we we say bye to our 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 fellow listeners, because we have both yes. listened to each other today. Yes. Um, I would like you to say a bit about your next project, which is mm. the, the next book that will be published on December 1. Um, and that is 
the title is leadership and organizational politics, politics. how to yes. win office politics and thrive in a competitive environment oh, tell yes. us a bit about that um uh, that book is a product of my experience in the corporate world and in family settings and in my interactions with community members growing up uh, starting my work life and people complain oh politics politics without understanding what it means for uh, them and the implication it has on their career. So it's my attempt to uh, address a lot of human person, human resource problems because most organizations spend hundreds and millions of dollars, thousands of dollars and pounds and naira and all that to set up strategic objectives strategic visions and goals without being mindful of the culture in their workplace, the prevailing culture in the workplace. And like uh, Jesus said in the Bible, he said, you, by your tradition, you have made the word of God of non-effect. Mm. And Peter Drucker interpreted Jesus' statement by saying, culture has the power to eat strategy for lunch. Yes. So lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Lunch and dinner. <laughs> so it was on the premise of that that I wanted to address the most phenomenal human need, the need for recognition, for validation, the need to be able to resolve conflict. That will always be conflict. And people say, oh, I want to shy away from office politics. I want to run the boat. A lot of people are victims of office politics. Yep. I have been a victim of office politics. And so many listeners today are victims of, but the problem is how do I navigate a political terrain at the workplace? And for people who are, who are mindful of that, your workplace is your workshop, 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 workshop. So, let, where me, you are so, so let, me, let me explain to those who are not <laughs> Nigerian extraction. So we, we, have, we have found a way to adapt the, the word workshop to workshop so yes. where you work is where you chop and yes. chop is at the, the way we put it in our local parlance yes. uh, when you talk about eating so mm -hmm. where you work is where you eat eat yeah and you can't afford for somebody to take your source of livelihood away from you True. with queries with suspension with so there have been people who have been giving quick you know when people receive query for all sorts of ridiculous things, you see a lot of victimization, mean-spirited, verbal abuse taking place, bullying taking place at the workplace. Unlike the Western world, where these things are, are placed in the laws, and it's nationally known that bullying is not allowed at the workplace, where you yes. know you can go to the court system and get justice. It was yes. not so bad. Yes. Because listen to you when the law already says you cannot force a willing employee on an unwilling employer so there was no justice system so people work in environment of injustice of, of be, not being heard not being recognized no regulate no regulatory framework no, there to, was to no protect regulatory framework to protect them and protect their sense of dignity protect so people have gone through a lot of bashing emotionally that they've lost their self-confidence because the average employer in the Nigerian sector is harsh, harsh, because they are more driven by the tax than the people. They are more tax-oriented than being people-oriented. Mm. The workplace culture 
do not focus on the interest and the welfare of the people here. So there's no psychological safety. That's what I'm saying. This so, this okay. conversation, right? This particular part of it yes. has just drawn my mind to something you said in passing in another mm. conversation. Mm. Because you mentioned that in your reckoning, colonialism mm. is not the biggest problem Africa faced or is facing. Yeah. Um, and you have just described the situation now where mm-hmm. we are our own problem. Yeah. So I I want you to just spend a minute or two. Okay. You know, I, letting I us think, know why you don't think colonialism is a problem. Yes, and this is the reason why I think so. And I'm applying the Pareto principle of saying 20% of our problem is what is producing 80%. 20% of the source of our problem is what is producing 80% of our outlook. So 80% of the outlook is that because we were colonized, that's why we have 80% of this problem. Yes, I agree. Colonialism has a place, has a role to play, but it is not essentially our problem. It, it only amplified our problem because when the colonial masters came and they were to do the delineation and the setup of our nation, they put people of different cultural values together and created a problem as a result. They put people of different ethnic backgrounds, different history. Nigeria is a classic example where you put a predominantly Muslim Northern region who has belief systems that are different from those who are in the Middle Belt in Benue, put them together and call them Northerners. The people in Lokoja, the people in Ilorin, the people in Benue, uh, 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 you know, you put on the lump, then you now come to the southeast. You lump those of the Igbo's extraction with those of the Rogo, the Shekiri extraction. They have different history, different ideologies, different orientation to life. So there's no cohesiveness. Now you are now emphasizing on the need for diversity. That you can't have diversity without identity. Wow. It's not possible. So wow. there's no collective identity. So the framework of existence and coexistence has been shrouded in conflict. Hmm. Other countries have been colonized and they've gone through their colonization process and they have advanced. One critical example is the United States of America. They gained independence just like Nigeria gained independence from England. They fought for their independence. They shed blood. But the first thing they decided on when they gained their independence was to determine an enabling environment and determine the collective identity of the people they wanted to be and, and who they wanted to be known as. So that's why when some people came up and said George Washington should be installed as their own king, he refused. He said that was what we fought against, where we are coming from. I don't need to be king. <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish many African leaders or rulers, as you call them, exactly. would, rem- would, would take a lesson from that. From that, and that's about because they have become years. they have become who and what they fought against. Exactly. Remarkable. Thank you. Remarkable. That was exactly one of the reasons why I said I don't think colonialism is that because it's sixty-two years and just gained independence now. So how are we? How, are, but people argue and still say, oh, it's new colonialism in the new form of economic oppression, I said, okay, you know what? You are playing the victim card and the victim card is our number one problem. Number two, we have refused to take responsibility for our own destiny. That is likely our problem. Hmm. 
So we, have we need to take, responsibility. to take responsibility. And we keep playing the for victim our card. destiny. And yes. we need to stop playing the victim card. Exactly. If you had, Dr. Toye, and this will be our parting shot, if yes. you had the opportunity mm-hmm. to gather all the African leaders, okay, rulers, mm. <laughs> political mm. elite together mm-hmm. in one room, mm. and they said to you, whatever you say to us today mm. is what we will adhere to henceforth. Yes. Mm. What would be your simple message to them collectively? Wow. The first thing I'll ask them is to determine the values they want their people to be known for and to set up institutions, institutional framework around those values to give their people an identity. And those values will determine what their strategic objective and vision will be for their nation. And that, those values will be what they will use to create the environment. So they should start by creating an environment where those values can thrive. They should reward people for those values, those who comply and live by those values. And they should ensure there is a justice system that ensures that people are not only rewarded, but people are also reprogrammed, not punished, not penalized. They are reprogrammed to be indoctrinated back into those value systems. Every economic policy, every political strategy will succeed if those three things are there, especially in terms wow. of the system of the people. Wow. 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 What a fitting way to <laughs> end this first part of our combo because I, I can see that we need to have a second one. Yes. And maybe a third and a fourth. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Toye. I, Thank I, I you. Have, truly enjoyed myself and thank you if 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 we weren't going to publish this my this this hour would have been very well spent yes. but thankfully we are going to publish it and thank many God. many very many people are going to listen to yes. this and we, we we would welcome reactions from them questions and mm-hmm. feedback and yes. you know on on our on our social media handles we will put some links there on mm-hmm. how you can reach Dr. Toye directly if you need to. Exactly. Um, and he speaks. He speaks at, you know, leadership forums, events, seminars. He consults for leaders and also feel free, please. And yeah. when you do, let him know that the first time you listened to him was on this yeah. podcast platform so that we are able yeah. to gauge the kind of impact we are making. Thank you yes. so much, Dr. Toye. Thank Warm you regards so to your much. very lovely family. You know, ah, now, he has a lovely <laughs> family. <laughs> yes, your primary constituency. We'll be talking a lot about them when we when we oh come my back. God. Thank you. Thank so you so very much. much. I'm it's, so it's, grateful for this been, privilege. It's been, it's been a wonderful hour talking yes. to you. Awesome. Thank All you. right. So everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And also remember to like share and follow us on all our social media handles at resonant voices Um, Mm. wherever you get your podcast from you would find us there so share with your friends let them know the conversation is ongoing and let's continue doing this yes cheers and bye for now